magnify you. You are worthy to be praised and adored. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for this great covenant of merciful love, loving kindness, tender mercies. It's a mixture of a father's love, a brother's love. It's a family type of love that you give us. And we thank you so much for that, that it is so fulfilling to us to know your great love. So we lift you up today and we thank you for coming in and sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, and your love with us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So today we're going to talk about for better or for worse. Amen. For better or for worse. Everybody got quiet now. Praise is shock. Uh, what? Uh, he's, what? What? He's finally caught up with me. <laughs> the other shoe is getting ready to drop. <laughs> Talk about uh, where that phrase came from. I think I'll start there just to get you into it, get you to understand what I'm talking about. I stole something off somebody's uh, website. I hope I can read it. It's small. Commitment. What is the meaning of for better or worse? <laughs> just think about the meaning of the words in our wedding vows. For better or for worse, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, sickness and in health. He says, what a commitment we make in a moment of time. With God and these people or these witnesses listening, are these just empty words of tradition or do they represent a genuine commitment? The longevity and quality of your marriage depends upon it. Commitment is a mindset, an attitude. People who can't commit to small things probably won't commit to large. So really when you're thinking about getting married or when God is training you for marriage, he trains you in keeping commitments first. Parents who are training their children to be good husbands and good wives will make sure that there is some discipline built into that child so that when he says he's going to do something, he follows through on it. And when expectations are made of that person, that they can fulfill those expectations. See, that's good training. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And that means that whatever you put in that kid when they're small, chances are they're going to keep doing it when they're adults, whether it's good or bad. So the parents have the opportunity to put, because God has given you influence with your children. He's given, you know, I don't know of a kid that doesn't love their parent, whether they're on dope, crack, or in the White House. You know, they all love their parents. So God has given you that positive influence in your child's life for a reason. He hasn't given it so that you can think you're wonderful and and they'll accept anything you do and still love you. It's not for that. But it's so that you can recognize that this is God-given. There is nothing that you've done to, to deserve the respect that a child has for a parent. Did you know that? Now think about it. What did you do? But it comes, doesn't it? 
it comes naturally. Children love attention from their parents. They just warm up to kind words from their parents. And that's an edge that the parent has that's God-given, huh? so that you can train them up in the right way to go, you see. You have to have that positive influence with them so that your words will be heard, your words will be respected, and your words will be followed through on. And so God does that. He puts that in them automatically. The parents think that because they care for their children and rear them, that's your responsibility to what you have produced in the earth. That's not something that you can't give them. Even if you feed a child and don't don't give it love and affection, they'll die. Failure to thrive comes from that. So you've got to care for that being that you brought into the earth. So that's part of responsibility. That's not something that you're doing that's extraordinary. Everybody does that, that, that brings children into the earth. And so these things we have to understand. You have a God-given position in that child's life that makes it easy for you to be their teacher, their leader, their guide. All that is so that you can have train them up in the way that they should go. And a good parent will train a child to respect commitment, to recognize <clears throat> how to be faithful, how to be loyal, how to be loyal to a purpose, to standards, all those things. Those are built in to the parental role. So it's, it's real easy to instill values in the children. Sometimes you'll notice that they'll start to correct you with the things that you've corrected them with. <laughs> See, they all have that high sense of right and wrong, you know. Oh, Mama, you shouldn't be eating that because you told me not to. You know, you got it. So it, it's because they have a sense of, of, you know, you're there to teach them the right way and they want to hold on to that. And, of course, they want to boss you a little bit when they get a chance. They watch everybody and everything. But at least you know they're grabbing on to it. See, they're grabbing on to, to what you teach them. And so it's a good thing. Teaching them to respect their commitments is a good thing. Teaching them to follow through on commitment is a good thing. You know, it's, that's why mothers don't want you to bring every stray cat and dog in the house because they know and mom's going to be the one to wind up training that thing because the kid loves it for a minute and then they forget about it, see. But you can help them. You know, it can be a help to them learning to train themselves to be faithful in a commitment if you'll look at it that way. And so commitment is very, very important in our training, in our upbringing. Commitment causes us not to quit when the going gets tough. Remember the cello lessons your child wanted to take and not at cello is in the basement with cobwebs and stuff on it huh? because the commitment wasn't seen there it was just seen as a bother to everybody after a while and so you kind of let it lapse and so but you see some some parents make their kids finish out at least the term of the first year or something just so they'll know that they can't quit on things in life These things are very important to communicate to them so that when they're older and have to make more demanding commitments, those commitments won't be grievous to them because it's already built into them to keep their word. When they say they're going to do something, do it. If you're going to deliver newspapers in the neighborhood, it's nice when it's summer and it's warm and easy to get up. But when it's winter and it's hard, you've got to get out there and do that too. And so when we understand that we are being trained 
Everything you do in life is trained for the vision that you have for your life. You'll see how your little, nailing little Johnny when he won't get up and take out the garbage, how if you keep that up, that'll make him a good husband one day. You got me? Not that he's only going to take out garbage, but that he knows he has commitment to his family, has commitment to God, and he'll keep those commitments. So those things are very important. So the author here says commitment is a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a way of thinking that will enable you and your spouse to navigate through the still waters and the storms of a marriage relationship. Commitment. huh? Commitment. What, one of the things that you have to realize, and he compares working on a marriage to remodeling a house. So there are some things you have to remember when you're building a good marriage, similar to remodeling a house. Number one, it takes longer than you planned. <laughs> Number two, it costs more than you figured. Number three, it's messier than you anticipated. Number four, it requires greater determination than you expected. And number five, sometimes the only thing that keeps us going is hope. Is hope. Hope really comes from the heart of God. It's part of the agape mindset of God. Hope is, comes to us because God loves us and it's necessary to keep us going in life. If we have hope, we can keep going in life. Without it, we cannot go far and we won't have a good sense of commitment without hope. So that's why in God's covenant for us, he takes us for better or for worse. He takes us for better or for worse. The reason we have that in a marriage vow is because marriage is a shadow of Christ's relationship with the church. Isn't it? The Bible tells us that. So when God gives us words to speak to one another... In a marriage commitment, he sets the bar. He sets the standard. Huh? It's not a it's not a, a man given thing at all. These vows, they come from God. Man would never set as high a standard as God does. Would you ever say, "Husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church"? You want to rip that out her Bible? You get it out all the Bibles in the house, and y'all have some pages missing, huh? And hope she don't notice it. Hmm? With with women reverence here, especially in this day and age, you know, women don't really respect themselves anymore. Huh? If you notice it, there is a a negative um, reaction or mindset toward anything that's feminine anymore. Huh? So we got all these dikey looking women up there, you know, and I mean, excuse my, can you say that in churches? That's what I thought. We're in the right church. You know, trying to represent. And see, like when Sarah Palin came along and she was your, you know, 
Pokemon. Oh, they they shot up the wall. Where did she come from in the public eye? We thought we had killed that. Huh? Well, sure. Absolutely. And so women don't even respect womanhood anymore. I'll put it that way. They don't respect womanhood. They all want to be little men and do what men do and, you know, act like men and smoke cigars and I smoked one once, so I can't, I can't say that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And so there are some things that women don't do in representing womanhood. One of the things that women, you know, I'll see women say things like, but I don't cook. Like that's something to be proud of. You see what I'm saying? You know, and then now the men have taken over cooking and they're making millions of dollars off of it. I say, are you stupid? Huh? You need to be cooking because you're out there working for, you know, $6 an hour making some other woman's husband coffee. And you call it a career. Just a thought. Just a thought. So we're letting things slip, some of the honor and dignity that God gave women has slipped away from us uh, in exchange for rights. I'd rather have honor than rights any day. Rights is hard. You got to fight all the time, sweat your hair out, and you know, look all rough and everything. I, you know, come on now. I'd rather have honor than rights to do certain things. Sometimes rights can become wrongs. Huh? It's easy for that to happen. Look at what happened to the civil rights movement. Something that was to elevate all humanity is now being perverted and twisted so that it's dehumanizing people again. You see what I'm saying? So we'll never, never get it straight going down that road. The only road that we can get things right on is the road that God has us on. So God takes us for better or for worse. In Hebrews chapter 13, in verse 5, he says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have. Why? Because they're not as important as this. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with what things soever. What, what is he will never leave me or forsake me have to do with my stuff? And the fact that I want my stuff has everything in the world to do with it. Because if you understand what it means to not be left and not be forsaken, you'll realize that's better than stuff. Huh? You'll realize that's better than stuff. And especially if it comes from God. <clears throat> so the word forsake is really a covenant term. It's a covenant term. Forsake really, really implies that somebody has made a commitment to you and they're willing to break that commitment. That's what it means to forsake someone. So when you talk about God's never forsaking us and never leaving us. Uh, 
Sometimes if you don't have everything you want in a material sense, it's nice that you got somebody there with you. You got me? Huh? I mean, there are times where, you know, married people sometimes, they get a little farther along in their marriage and farther along in life and they've accumulated a few material things and they'll sit back and reflect. Honey, remember back in the day when we only had, we first got married, we only had this and we only had that and, you know, we were so happy and all that kind of stuff. Well, you should be happy, you know. If, you, <laughs> if you're not, that's too bad, say it anyway. But, you know, people tend to reflect on happiness as being a simpler time when their focus was the two of us and not the everyday business of having a life. You know what I'm saying? They tend to make it, it's, it's better when things are simpler. So when God says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you, what he is saying that there are times where life may get so bad and complicated that you don't want anything else in a material sense. This is where the church is goofed up some. We've had 20 or 30 years of preaching and teaching on nothing but faith for material things. Now we understand all these things and we're still not happy. See, we're still not satisfied. Because we forget he said he will never leave us. So really we left him seeking things that we thought he wanted us to have. But he never intended us for, to have them without him. Amen. Huh? Never. Huh? My late husband used to tell me, he said, ah, if I drop dead tomorrow, you run out of here and give all this stuff. You know, sometimes he'd look at his, <laughs> look at his bank book or, you know, he's, you know how men are. They like to check assets. And uh, he'd look at his bank account. He said, Shh can't take this with me. If I drop dead tomorrow, you run off with some knucklehead nonsense. You know, I, he always thought he was the it. You know, after me, there's no, everybody else is a dog or stupid or no good. And I don't know how to pick them. You know what I'm saying? I'm look at what I got here. But, yeah, you run off with somebody, no kind of drug addict or something. Give them all my money. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what he accused me of. But, uh, you know, it, it, was, it, it just lets you know how unimportant material things are next to the companionship, the friendship, the relationship, especially when we have it with God. If we will put the relationship first, then we have everything else that he possesses. See? And that's why he said he will never leave us. Don't be jealous of what you see others have. Because he's with you all the time. See, if you can remember that, God is with me and I'm important to him. He died for me and he loves me. And it doesn't matter what condition I'm in, whether I have a a husband or have a marriage or have a family or have whatever. He is with me at all times and he will never leave me. And the second part, nor will he forsake me. See, it's one thing to have somebody there all the time, but you want somebody there who will fulfill their commitment to you. And so that's what Jesus says. He said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Now, that word forsake means to leave destitute. To leave destitute. That word destitute means to be bereft of everything. Just high and dry, nothing. 
Joyce Meyer's testimony was that her first husband was, you know, I guess she was just so difficult to live with, and he was too, that he would just drop her off somewhere and leave her, you know. And so God says, I will never leave you. I'm sure when she saw that in Hebrew, she leaped for joy. Huh? For people who have been left a lot, that's a good scripture. Huh? People who get threatened to be left a lot, that's a good scripture. Huh? He said he will never leave you no for, nor forsake you. And that is to leave you without hope, to leave you destitute, to leave you bereft. The word forsake also means to loosen. Huh? Loosen from covenant, promise, loosen from that person's heart. One of the things that sometimes you'll hear women especially like to complain to men if if there's maybe a divorce or something like that. And the woman will say something like, why didn't you fight for me? Why didn't you fight for our marriage? Why, why was it so easy for you to walk away from everything that we have? See, to women, this is very important because women look to men for security. Amen. huh? Not just companionship, but security, you know, and it's normal to do. You don't want to live with somebody who makes you feel insecure, you want, but it means a lot more to women Oftentimes than it does to men. And when they find that a man is, is so easy for him to say, well, okay, if you want a divorce, book. Here's my, here's my attorney's number. You know, all that kind of nonsense. Why don't you fight for me? Huh? If we're having trouble, why is it so easy for you to let things just slip and go, well, that's what this means. The word forsake means he will never loose you, let you get away from him. Even when he's angry with you about what you've done for the umpteen time that you said you weren't going to do no more and you know you're not supposed to do it, he won't loose you from the commitment. He'll go after you. He'll fight for you. Huh? He'll fight for you. It also means to, uh, to not commit oneself to forsake. It means uncommitted. You don't want somebody in a relationship that's passive. You know, everything you do is okay. You know, they don't have a standard there. Huh? You want somebody who's going to commit themselves to you and what God has purposed for you to do in life. See, it doesn't matter. It, it's, you know, if you don't find God's purpose for joining the two of you together and partner in life on God's things, you're not going to have much to fight for. Mostly going to be fighting each other. You try to have your way this week and she trying to have her way this week, you see. So you have to partner together in God's purpose for your marriage. This is often the last thing people even think about. Huh? They don't. Because if they did, they would have something to hold on to. See, when tough times come. But see, they'll easily forsake the covenant because there's no purpose to it. Huh? If the purpose was just to have somebody around, well, we've done that already. Huh? If it was just to have a couple kids, we've done that already. Huh? If it was just to have a little piece of property, we did that already. And so you have to learn how to get deeper with this thing and partner in on your commitment to what God has purposed for you. And don't be scared to ask God what you're here for. Huh? Many people run around just, you know, well, I'm, I've been seeking. You ain't been doing nothing. Because it's real obvious <laughs> to me what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. 
supposed to be loving God, taking care of one another, living according to the vows, upholding one another. If the one of the one person in the marriage has a goal that they want to meet in life, you pray about it and you support them to get what they're here to get and be who God wants them to be. It's a lot that you can do in a relationship and you know exactly what God expects out of you. To forsake means to let alone. God will never let you alone. That's a good thing. That he bothers to bug you about the same thing over and over again. It also means to abandon and leave behind. You know that scary, you know, rapture movie left behind thing? That ain't y'all. So don't go see it. It's got nothing to do with you. Because you're going to be with the Lord. If anybody's left behind, that ain't going to be us, okay? We all going to first, the first thing smoking. We getting out of here. You got me? You see anything crack the sky that look like it might come down and go, that's yours. Okay, you jump on that train. Don't be sitting up here waiting for something else. Huh? Front of the bus, back of the bus, I don't care. I'm going. Huh? To forsake also means to refuse to reconcile. That means to refuse to have a zero balance against somebody. Somebody's always got some complaint against you. That's refusing to reconcile. You can't live with somebody who's always bringing up your faults. I mean, who needs that? So refusing to reconcile really means refusing to forgive and to let things go. And so if God won't forsake us, that means he will never hold our sins against us. He's always willing to reconcile with us. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, even the best husband or the best wife on earth has their limits. Huh? You know if you cross a certain line, they give you that eyebrow or that. And you shoot right back over like I said. But God always is willing to forgive. No matter what we do, he will always forgive us. Reconcile means to have a zero balance against somebody. That means that we owe him nothing huh? but love. And that's it. So in God, never leaving us nor forsaking us means that he's always committed to us. The commitment's always there. You have to understand that. Because if God is always willing and committed to us, what are we afraid of? What makes us hesitate to go to him? What makes us hesitate to serve him with our whole heart? Because he's always, and he's with us for better or for worse. Hmm? Sometimes when you're, God's using you, say you get an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And, and you know, you love that and you're so excited about it. It gives you such a good feeling. Well, you can have that good feeling all the time because he loves you for better or for worse. Huh? You can have that good feeling when you've done the worst thing. You know, usually our consciences won't let us. But if you confess it and get it out of the way, you can feel that way about it all the time. Because he he loves you in your best condition and he loves you in your worst condition. And he's there for you. Amen. He's there for you at all times. So this is Jesus' vow to the church. That's his marriage vow to us. It's found in Hebrews, well, we have 13, verse 5. So circle that and underline it. 
Because that means he's always married to us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So in other words, Hebrews 13:5 it says, For he has promised for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, sicknesses and health, forsaking all others above death, huh? eternally. A normal marriage vow only goes for the duration of your earthly life. Jesus' goes eternally. Huh? So you can, can carry that to its highest level. You can always expect God to be there for you. You can always, he never gets tired of us. We don't exhaust him. He doesn't want to just not hear that anymore. You got me? He may not pay much attention to it if you keep saying it over and over again. You got me? <laughs> but say it anyway. Huh? You never know. Huh? He might be listening. <laughs> so <clears throat> then God created the marriage vow as a standard. And this is, is, this is where we get that standard from. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In verse 4, it talks about marriage. The verse right before that. He says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. In other words, the marriage bed is undefiled. But, he says, whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So you be the the judge of that. Is, Is marriage permissible to people of the same sex? Huh? He says, only the marriage bed is undefiled. So what is marriage? Marriage was defined by God in Genesis 1. He brought the woman to the man to be a helper and a companion. And that same vow that I will never leave you or forsake you was spoken between Adam and Eve. He says, therefore will a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. So it says specifically a man and a woman and those two become one flesh as evidenced by the children. If you can't fulfill that whole scene there, it's not a marriage. It's already been defined. Now, you can, you, people can say what they want to say. You can change laws. Now, see, this is where we get into dangerous territory, where the government makes laws that tells people lies. God will have to come in some way and correct that and bring truth. He always does. But if you, if you tell people that you can define marriage, now we're going to redefine. Well, we didn't define it to begin with. And the Bible says what God has joined together, let not man try to tamper it, undo it. See, don't mess with marriage. Don't try and dishonor it. Because the Bible says it's, mar- it's honorable. Marriage, the way God defines it, is honorable. And the marriage bed undefiled. See, marriage already is an institution that stands on itself. It's been defined by God already. So I don't care what you tell people is okay to do and call it a marriage. It's not a marriage. Listen, you can put a, 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 a bicycle 
in your garage and call it a Porsche. <laughs> but if you don't have all them letters on it and all the bells and the whistles, it ain't a Porsche. I don't care how many times you say that's what it is. You got me? So you can't put two people of the same sex in a bed together and call it an undefiled marriage bed because they are not married. I don't care what them papers say. Just like a husband and wife, unless God has, has separated them spiritually and given sanction to, to some type of separation that they have for whatever reason God has, man can't give you a piece of paper and call it you, you're not married anymore. Only God can tell you if you're married or not. I said only God can tell you if you're married or not. If he honors your first vows, listen, people get mad at each other all the time. If God honors your first vows, he'll go to marry people and say stuff like, well, I know that he walked off and left you and you got divorce papers. But listen, I heard him when he said what he said to you. And I heard you when you said what you said to him. And I'm telling you, I can put this thing back together again. Now, what are you going to believe in papers you got stuck up there in the drawer and some goofy lawyer? Or are you going to believe God? Huh? See, man is only an instrument that God can use for whatever purpose God has. Man is not the boss over anything. Are you kidding me? You've seen the kind of people we elect to Congress? And you're going to tell me that people are real capable of stuff without God's help? Come on now. And I mean, that's our best shot right there. Those are people who make laws and we have to live by them. Same thing with our judges and people in Supreme Court and all that kind of stuff. You can't tell me those people are capable without some oversight by God. And see, when people start saying things like, oh, we have a marriage, we have a same-sex marriage, we have anything you have to put in front of marriage to qualify it means it ain't legit. Huh? We're going to have some same-sex children, and we're going to have some same-sex this and some. You ain't going to have nothing. You know, people ask things like, is AIDS God's judgment on humanity? No. AIDS really is a warning. Judgment is yet to come. You keep messing around with him like this. Huh? And AIDS is ugly enough. But whenever God allows a natural remedy to come, he's buying you time not to come out of the closet, but to wake up and repent. Huh? That time is not for you to pass out condoms and come out the closet and start outing everybody. Huh? Make you a bigger target from the, for the devil. Huh? When you come out. You better stay in that little closet and ask Jesus to come in there with you and help you so that you don't get real stupid around here. You got me? But the Bible is only speaking of one thing when it talks about marriage. And it's that thing that God started in the, in the book of Genesis. The reason he created the woman was for the man, not for another woman. And he did not create the man for another man. He created us for one another to live in honorable matrimony, a legal marriage. If you don't respect, well, see, we married in God. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Don't even get stupid like that. We don't need no papers. We don't need 
Huh? My husband tried that nonsense. Right at like a year after we got married. He didn't even keep his ring on a year. A year after we got married, came, I lost my ring. I said, you better go find it. You better not lose your mind. And something else. Because I wasn't saved at the time. Okay, He found that ring. Uh, it was in the... I don't know where he had it for three days, but three days later, <laughs> it raised up. Uh, play that nonsense with me. Go lose something. He lose anything but that. Huh? It's the truth. But people think they don't. See, man, if you leave people to themselves, they can think of some of the craziest things to get what they think is freedom. Get away from commitment. Don't want to be nailed down. Don't want to be pinned down. When that's the greatest thing we have going for us is the ability to commit and be people of honor and be people of integrity. Is that we can say we committed to something and we stuck it out. When you, if you leave the military before your tour is up, you get what they call a dishonorable discharge. They strip the honor of having served away from you. Because they can't have you listed in the same company as the people who fulfill the commitment. And so they want you in a different category altogether because you refuse to fulfill your commitment to to military service. And so commitment is everything as far as God's concerned because he says, for better or for worse, he will never leave us nor will he forsake us. Not that he doesn't have grounds to sometimes when you think of it from a human perspective, but he will never leave us nor will he forsake us. So in Ephesians 5, it talks about the man side of this vow that God has for the church. God sets the tone by, by being the example of the greatest level of commitment that there could ever be. So he sets the tone by giving himself freely To the church, to whosoever will. The wonderful thing about God is that he's already proven he would accept us at our worst. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says he died for the ungodly. And so while we were sinners, while we were at our worst, he already picked us up and elevated us and gave us honor. That, That born again covenant that he has with us is our marriage to him that's our betrothal to him because he talks to us after that as his bride and he talks to us as his beloved and so once we come into covenant with God we are highly loved and highly favored by him so if he accepted you at your worst how much more will he do for you now that he's got something invested in you huh how much more you know, sometimes when people are, are young and, and, you know, sometimes if a, a young man has a nice looking girlfriend or wife, you know, they get real possessive and don't want anybody else looking at you. You know, well, then as you grow older together, you should be more valuable to him. You got me? I mean, those things should increase. You increase in value as they have more of themselves invested in you. Huh? They can talk to you about any. Nobody knows you like they do, so to speak. And they shouldn't be quick to trade that in on anything. You got me? Or to let that go. That means something. That investment 
in that person really, really means something to them. And so it's the same way with the Lord. Once he's married to us and he's invested, you know, he's brought you out of some things. You had a difficult time with your health. He brought you out of that. You had a difficult time staying celibate or whatever it is. He brought you that far. All of those things, he, those are investments of himself that he has in us so that we're more like him now than we ever were. So we're a lot more valuable, so to speak, to him. But even when we were sinners, we were of high value to him. Don't ever put yourself down because of what you used to be or look at yourself like you were some little worm or something uh, because of your mistakes or your failures. You were of high value to him when you were at your worst. You were of high value. We're never not valuable to God. Make sure you don't look at sinners that way. You know, that, that they're of no value. They're of high value to God. Start expecting them to, to be able to see that they're of, of high value to God. So in Ephesians 5, <clears throat> we have the standards for an earthly marriage. We know now that God has given us an eternal marriage to his son Jesus Christ. For better or for worse, he doesn't care. He accepts us, loves us just the same. When we're in sin, he still loves us. You can't do much with your covenant with him when you're in disobedience, but he still loves you. You got it? He still loves you. It's like <clears throat> I used to have a habit sometimes. If, if my husband made me angry, I wouldn't talk to him for a long period of time. Number one, I was mad enough to hit him, and he didn't know that. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, just leave me alone and... I'll get over this in several days. But I realized that that looked like a form of punishment. You see, when you withhold your company, affection, anything. And so I would at some point go to him and say, okay, I was mad about so-and-so and such and such. Can we get this straightened out or, you know, whatever. And I learned how... To keep that relationship alive, well, I was, I was angry at him during that period of time, but I never stopped loving him. You got me? You're in trouble when your love stops because you're angry at somebody. You better check your love because you got the wrong brand. Huh? You're working on the whatever brand of love, generic, uh, uh, maker's mark. Uh, <laughs> Sam, Walmart brand love, whatever you got, brand X. You don't have, huh? Because you don't stop loving somebody because they disappoint you, because they reject you, because they don't do what you want them to do. The love doesn't stop. If the love stops and you start to distance yourself from them, you got to check your brand. You know, your brand's wrong. Know what I'm saying? Just go get the Kellogg's, okay, because you'll like that better. Stay off the generic shelf. Start feeding yourself the word. Get the best in you that you can. Learn how you're supposed to relate to this person. And the brand of the X brand of love that you have that you like some days, well, you know how this is okay, but you got to fix it up. Huh? No, I, I could eat them cornflakes, but I got to have some raisins with them. You got to have raisins with, with your spouse. You know you're in trouble. 
You've got to trade that in for the real stuff. Huh? It's the agape of God. You trade that little weak stuff. Huh? It's not holding together. It ain't even like sticky, you know, a post-it note. This flies right off the minute something bad happens. This is, there goes the love. Huh? Where is the love? Huh? You can trade it in. You can trade it in for the love of God anytime. You know how? You start doing this. Ephesians 5. It says here, verse 21, Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. You do it because, husbands, if you get bitter against your wives, you can't get a prayer through. Huh? God takes away from you when you don't love people appropriately. Huh? You can't, you, your little business will stop up real quick. So you can easily trade it in because you don't want to suffer the consequences of being on the wrong side of God. See? It says, husbands, <clears throat> submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord, both husbands and wives. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own Husbands, your own husbands. Don't be grinning up in some other man's grill. You got me? Your own husband. As is fit in the Lord. Huh? Or as unto the Lord. That means do it because God's watching you. He's watching you to make sure you do this. Huh? Just like you used to watch your kids when they were... Taking out the garbage, mother would tell Johnny to, mothers could time you to see how long it took you to obey them. And if it took too long, she told you again. Huh? And if it took too long, she told you again. Huh? They need to learn to stand their ground a little bit longer because Johnny will eventually move because God's pushing him because of your words. See, a lot of times you quit and you get up and go do it yourself. That's wrong. Huh? Johnny, don't take that garbage out you make and take it and put it in the bed with him at night. Huh? That's your garbage, Johnny. When I gave told you to take it out, that belonged to you. You want to sleep with it, sleep with it. Huh? But you're taking it out of here. Amen. He says, as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. That means he's the leader of that family. He's the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. Now, nobody would be stupid enough to get up and try to run the church. Well, some people would. You know, there's all kinds out here. Think they know what to do all the time. But just like Christ is the head of the church and cannot be removed from that position, so is the husband the head of the wife. Even as Christ is head of the church and he is the savior of the body. That means that he is the source that you go to for everything that you need. So as the body of Christ, we go to to Christ for everything we need. So the woman is to go to the head, the husband, for everything that they need as far as that household is concerned. Of course, now a lot of men don't want you coming to them, but that doesn't mean anything. And a lot of women don't want to go to the husband. That don't mean nothing either. It's still written. 
It's still written what God expects and what will make a harmonious home, one that God will honor. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That means even your paycheck that you've been hiding. Baby, let me see one of them stubs or something from your job. You know, we need to compute our taxes. I can't find that. They don't give us no stubs. What do you mean stub? Right. Everything. That's my money. I used to say that all the time. That's mine, ain't it? I thought it was. You want that? It ain't that much. (laughs) Okay. But then I met God, all right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands show love by giving to the wife. Oh! Oh, Come on now. That ain't in there, is it? It's supposed to hurt. Didn't it hurt Jesus to give himself for us? Crucified. Man, this will crucify you. Huh? It's supposed to. That's how two people become one flesh. Both of them are dead to what they want on their own. On their own. See, when you're dead to self, you're alive to righteousness. You can do this. Huh? You can do this. You just haven't let God show you anybody valuable enough to do it for. That's the problem with most people. You haven't let God show you the value in anybody that you're willing to do it for. But you can still do it. Sometimes men find themselves just wanting to do everything for a woman. They get scared. Listen, I've seen this before. Don't look at me like I ain't talking English. I can translate that too. Tell you in tongues and interpretation. For y'all spiritual people. Thinking about y'all. How much time do I have? Do I? Shall I endure this more? What? How many? Oh my goodness. I can dig deep and bury something. See it grow all in one meeting. Huh? You get scared. Are you kidding me? It scares me. And I was married for almost 30 years. I'm <laughs> still working on verse 20. I'm still working on this part of the verse. But you know what I'm talking about. I'd be working on it yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. The husband is the one who sanctifies and purifies the wife. Not the other way around. See, if men would would take up and do what God has them to do, this thing would work. If women would take up and do what God tells them to do, this thing would work. But men can get a lot done just by being the leader that God has called them to be. Instead of sitting back waiting for something to happen. Just go get in your word. Find out what God put you here on earth for. 
You ever see, I can tell you, this is true even with people in the world. You ever see women who have husbands who are important by worldly standards? A doctor's wife, lawyer's wife, politician's wife. I've worked in hospitals around many doctors. That, <clears throat> wives, you didn't even know what they looked like. You got me? Because she did her thing. She respected his thing. If he said, don't show up at the office and make a pest of yourself, they wouldn't dare intrude. Why? Because he was commanding the family. He had a plan. He was working in it. And everybody got on board and went along for the ride. Because my daddy is Dr. So-and-so. And my husband, Mrs. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so's wife. And it worked beautifully. It should work that way no matter what station in life your husband is because they all have the ability to hear from God command that family teach that family the ways of God enforce God's laws in the house huh you get some God in you men and start demanding some godly things to come in into play in that household and see how things shape up huh women wouldn't be nearly as easy eager to take over so to speak if men would do what they're supposed to do. Women, the men would stand up if you go somewhere and sit down. See, I could say that because I'm a woman. I'm a little kinder to the guys. huh? But just check yourself. You know, just pull it in a little bit. A lot. <laughs> Some of us. huh? Listen, I see, I see the mistake women are making. They think money is power. Yes. Number one, women don't have enough of it. You don't have enough of it. That's been locked up with men forever. While you sleeping and having PMS and menopause and everything else, they are working plotting the next billion dollar takeover. So <laughs> we need too much time off. For female things. <laughs> it's the truth. You see a, 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 an exception every now and then. You know, you see the women cosmetic billionaires and all those kinds. That's a rare exception. We don't have enough money to make it power. You got me? So we might as well just go get our little Bible and take care of our little corner and do what we're supposed to do. Huh? Even women, when God sends them, he'll send them sometime for a season to do something, shake some things up, and then he goes and uses them to do something else. And so you have to understand that this is God's way. This is his way of doing things, folks. And if we will take care of the family order and do things the way God says to do them, life is beautiful. Huh? It's wonderful. It works very well. But if you're afraid to give... You're afraid to love. Men, you're afraid to stand up and tell them, now that's a really crazy idea you just came up with. We ain't going there. Huh? Hello. In other words, I'll do the thinning around here. Huh? And do more of it, men. Get in your word and do more godly thinning and start leading the family and the home the way you want it to go. Let some woman lead you around. So he says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Be a sacrificial man in your love. 
Huh? Your wife wants trinkets? Go get her some trinkets. You don't have to leave a price tag on it. Just You know what I'm talking about? Them CZs look pretty good sometimes, you know. I mean, you, you know, it's all love. Huh? That's what y'all can afford? Go get her something like that. But let's see some sacrifice here, gentlemen. Let's see a little blood. I mean that in the kindest way. <laughs> what you looking around for? Everybody knows what you In who gave himself for it. Huh? Man, that would make me go home and cook and clean and keep my mouth shut. You wouldn't have no problem out of me. Serious. Huh? But people are afraid to step into that. Huh? If I give her too much, she's going to think, you know, she can run all over me. Women don't. If I cook every day, they start expecting it. You eat every day. Somebody going to be cooking that meal. Huh? You need to be thankful for McDonald's because it could be the cleanup woman. Huh? And she ain't doing nothing but going to McDonald's and repackaging it. But hey, she got it there on the table for him. Huh? Making it easy for the cleanup woman. What's the truth? Don't make it easy. Make it hard for that brother to go. You know, let your let your biscuits and your gravy be a snare to that brother if he decide he want to start thinking. I get I, and at the end of that thought is, dang, she sure can't cook that. Man, I'm crazy to live. And don't be saved, and you pray for him too. If I get sick, I don't have nothing to worry about. Us, you know, it's. You know, them boils I used to have, man, they don't come so much. She's been praying for me. Make it hard for them to leave. Hey, this ain't hard at all. You know what I'm saying? It ain't hard. But see, if you got brand generic love, huh? Value land and members mark and all that kind of sitting up in your cupboards, huh? Sometimes we need to buy the name brand just so we know what that's like. Huh? Something else out there. But you can trade that in. If you're scared to give. Men, if you're scared to show your, your wife how much you love her. Hmm? Scared to get sacrificial with it. Huh? Maybe I'll come out there. Where you at? Just park it. Somewhere I'll come and get you. Well, brother, I've been telling you to get triple A, but I don't want you out here. Send me some. <laughs> so my husband told me one time. My car was in the garage and it wouldn't start. And I said, uh, I said, baby, my car won't start. This is after 20 some odd years. You know, I know the drill. I know what's going to happen, but I'm trying it anyway. In the nicest voice I could, because, you know, sometimes I ain't so nice. But, sweetie, can you, your car won't start. You better call AAA. That's what I paid him for. So I called AAA, because that's what he paid him for. Huh? <laughs> now, see if that scares you. <laughs> you don't understand. Huh? Yeah. 
Because he set you up in the best way to get the best service. Huh? And he's willing to pay for it. See that brother come rushing out everywhere in the middle of the night for nothing? Huh? Some women think that's love. I don't know. Maybe for some people it is, but come on now. <laughs> the brother said you're with triple A. That's my husband. So anyway, Christ so loved the church and he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. This actually strengthens the church. You want in your marriage, folks, you want somebody who's going to strengthen you, not weaken you. Huh? My husbands know a little something. My husband strengthened me so that in his absence, I wasn't stupid without it, didn't know how to function. You got me? So he strengthened me so that I would know how to be able to take care of myself, get things accomplished. Although this is what Jesus does with us as a church. In fact, sometimes there are some things that we do are so automatic, you almost forget that God's grace is behind what you're doing. It becomes such a normal part of you. And so the washing by the water of the word cleanses us and brings us back into righteousness. And that's the for better or for worse part. See, when it's the worst part, when you've messed up, when you've been disobedient, when you haven't done what God told you to do, and you start suffering the effects of it, He'll come to you and you're able to repent. You're able to get your healing. You're able to get your bills paid. You're able to get everything. Why? Because he's with us for better or for worse. This is the worst part. This is the part where we don't measure up and do our end of the covenant. This is the part where we thought we could do it without God and went ahead and did something anyway, knowing it was wrong. You know what I'm saying? Knowing it you know, didn't work the last time, but we're going to try it again anyway. And so he allows us to do that. And if we'll come back to him in humility and repentance, he'll wash us with the water of the word, cleanse us all over again, get us righteous. You know, some brides like to play in the mud. You know, some of us just like to mess around with carnality, mess around with worldly stuff, don't want to pay attention to God. When God's servants give us encouragement, we don't want to do that. Huh? But God loves us anyway. See, he loves us in the worst condition we're in, even after we're saved, folks. This doesn't change after you're saved. If he died for us to get us saved, don't you know that death was necessary to get us out of that to begin with? And that death still is effective even after we're saved? Huh? For better or for worse. Took us at us at our worst when he first met us, knowing that we would go back to some of that again after he's met us. And it still never changed his love. It still never changed that vow. His plans for us are good all the time. He never changes the vision that he has for us. You see ministers backslide sometimes and never get to be what they initially thought they wanted to. There's no reason for that. They could. Look at Catherine Kuhlman. She did more. You know, the devil had her bound with some man that wasn't even her husband. She called him Mr. 
Could you imagine what that made God feel like every time she called that man? Not her husband. Had been married to somebody else. He walked off and left his first family. What makes her think she can hold on to him? He'd leave one, he'd leave another one. Are you kidding me? There's somebody that's determined to do what they want to do. They don't care. They'll leave anybody. And so here she thinks that she can hold on to him. And the conviction of God got too much for her. She had to repent. Come back to herself. That was when she got the healing ministry. She claimed to be a minister when she was with this man. They were evangelists traveling around. Doing small crowds, doing whoever would let them come in. But her miracle ministry started after she disconnected from this man and gave her heart and her life fully to the Lord. So you don't tell me you can't recover and do better. See, that ministry was hidden from her all those years she was living with that nut. Huh? Brand. She never knew the right brand. She was living on generic you know, food land, value land, love, instead of the agape that God had for her. And she met the Holy Spirit, and she vowed that she would continue that relationship with him. So really, hers was more of a love relationship for her between her and God. She wasn't seeking to be a miracle worker, you know. That came as a part of her relationship with the Holy Spirit. She said that, you know, when people would, would do things and to grieve the Holy Spirit and she'd feel the anointing lift, she would get so upset. <gasps> Don't make him leave. He's my best friend. I can't do anything without him. Yeah. Yeah. She was so sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit. They said her crowds were so large, they had to find different ways for her to get in and out of buildings. You know, she'd come through, they'd sneak her through the kitchen. Well, you can only sneak so much through the kitchen. All the cooks would drop over in the power of God while she walked through there. She couldn't even sneak through the building. Holy Spirit was so on her. She loved him with everything that she had. See? She finally found the right brand of love and she clung to it. That's what we need to do. See, you'll find the right brand of love in God if you'll obey his commandments, married people. You obey Ephesians chapter 5 and you get the right brand of love. And your spouse may not like it at first, but they'll get so jealous of it, God knows how to suck them into it. Huh? Some people say, well, I just can't pray that much around my husband. He ain't saved. Are you kidding me? Get real. You ain't really prayed around him yet. You've been sitting up there halfway praying, watching to see what he's going to do. Demons tremble. If he don't love God, that brother's shaking like a leaf. Trust me. Huh? I like my devil's nervous anyway. What kind of time we got, guys? Huh? Twelve minutes. Cool. Praise God. It says, <clears throat> he washes us with the water of the word. All men have to do is get in the Bible. That's why the devil tries so hard to keep them distracted. First of all, they think worshiping God is not manly. That's gay. Everything you do in the church is gay, you know. You know, you know, loving your wife, that's gay. 
she better do something for me first, blah, 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 blah. Spoken like a true wise man. Huh? She ain't never done nothing for you. You know her sister ain't going to do nothing for you, so you might as well stop it. Huh? You get the ball rolling. Whoever knows what to do, you do it. Huh? After a while, God will have them doing the same things. So he says he wants to sanctify us and cleanse us for better or for worse. When, when you're bad, he looks for you so that he can sanctify you and cleanse you. Not so he can tell you how bad you've been. Huh? It's a whole different trip here. He's looking for you so that he can give you his word because he knows that's what's missing in your life. See, you disobey because you don't know the scripture related to what you're involved in and cling to it. So he brings that word to you to wash you and set you apart now to do the right thing, to live in righteousness, to do things that he can approve of finally. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it, that he might present it to himself. He does this for himself. Jesus causes us to repent. Jesus puts conviction on us when we're wrong. Jesus will pursue us when we're at our worst and we don't want him to know where we are. He pursues you that he might wash you and cleanse you. Not to do you harm, but to do you good. God's not mad at us anymore. He's not looking. Punishment is off the table, folks. He already punished himself so that he could have you. Huh? So punishment is off the table. There's no more punishment involved here. The only punishment, we, if we do it to ourselves. You know, we refuse to let, I can't believe I did that. I, I can't. Huh? <laughs> I'm full of faith for stuff we do wrong. Because it's so easy. The Bible says sins easily beset us. You're just running a few inches of, of, of in front of the devil if you know it or not. Huh? So just keep running. You, you can outrun him. But if you stumble, you start out running him, he trips you up. Huh? You stumble. Somebody tells you, you know, we shouldn't see each other no more. Don't ever let somebody have a breakup on their terms. You be the one to do the breaking up. Huh? You don't leave me, I leave you. Uh, we done. See, this is the truth. I mean, you think them sisters don't know what they're talking about? See, if we're going to end the relationship, it's going to be on my terms. Because when I say I'm done with you, God hears that and he enforces it. When you say you're done with me, God is not, you understand what I'm saying? He's not helping me to get away from you until I say I'm done with it. You got me? Huh? Well, you men need to clap because I see y'all want to hold on to these little skanky women y'all messed up with. Huh? Here's men is like this, hiding their hands. Oh, he can't agree to that. I don't know what she's talking about. I don't have to be through with nobody. Yes, you do. See, if you say you're done, God hears your confession and he, he is the high priest over your confession. He'll minister over them words. They'll get so lost they can't find you, don't remember you, and don't know the last move you made. If you tell, you tell God I'm done with her. 
You go tell her I'm done with you. And God, your Jesus, your high priest ministers over your confession, not hers. Huh? You know, she can, she can say she's through with you today and calling you up tomorrow and you just bouncing around on a little string. Pinocchio. Huh? It's the truth. <laughs> Y'all know it's the truth. Let somebody call the shots in your life. Man of God, stand up and do what a godly man is supposed to do. Say, Father, this might hurt my flesh. The worst thing I've ever gone through, but I'm confessing right now. I'm done with her, and I'm calling her and telling her we are through. And Jesus, you're the high priest over my confession, and I believe you're going to minister over that. You're going to keep her away from me. You're going to keep me from dialing her number anymore. You're going to keep me from trying to smooth it over and make her feelings. That's the worst thing you can do. Huh? When you say stuff, you need to mean it. When you're done with somebody, you need to mean you're done. You don't need to go and smooth it over. How are you going to cut somebody's life off and smooth it over? It just has to hurt. Should have been, shouldn't have been connected to begin with. Huh? It's going to hurt anyway. So you just got to let it hurt. We all grown up here, honey. Cut them devils off. If you want to live for God and you want to have a good life, you're going to have to get rid of every devil that you know. And some you don't know. He pursues us. Why? So he can cleanse us. Why? So he can look at us again. Huh? There were certain, you know, sometimes we go out. For dinner, you know, this is good for married people. Sometimes you just look to every day, every day, you know what I'm saying. It's nice not to look every day. So my husband would put on a suit. He usually wore a, a shirt and a tie to his jobs. He was very glad for casual whatevers. Because, <clears throat> you know, but he would get very nice. We would go out somewhere. And I would dress up very nice. You know, we just look at each other, have a good time. You know, when, before I was saved, we drank too much, and <laughs> by the end of the night, I looked like somebody else. But, you know, but he took me home anyway. Uh, but there are times when you need to have that pride in one another, that good feeling about adorning one another. You look good for me, huh? And we look at each other. You look good. Where are we going? Ah, that ain't good enough. Let's up to Annie. Let's go to whatever. You know, go from the from the medium price to the high price place, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. You didn't do it all the time, but you say, oh, you look good enough. I look, when, when, I, when we were going out a lot, it was uh, Jim Swingos. He had a very nice restaurant. You had to have a reservation all the time. Everything was A1 premium, you know. I'm not sure what it is now, but you look looking nice enough to take you down to Swingos. Let's go on down there, you know. That's what Jesus wants to do to you when you're at your worst. He sees you being rebellious. He sees you not doing what he told you to do. He sees all of that. And he pursues you so he can cleanse you. So that he can clean you up and look at you and admire you. Huh? For that reason. He wants to look at us as we look 
to him for that adornment. We look in the mirror of the word and see what he wants us to look like, how he wants us to act, what he wants us to be like. And he pulls us out of sin. He pulls us out of rebellion and whatever else we're in so he can cleanse us up and look at us again and say, look at that. Look at what I've done. Look at how good she looks for me. Huh? Sanctifies you. Sets you apart so that he can look at you and admire you. Huh? You know, there are times, and I know somebody's going to get embarrassed, but there were times when we were married back in our younger days. And my husband would come in and say, you got too many clothes on. Huh? You know what I'm saying? Come on, Ricky, wake up. Help me. I know you ain't married. You're not indicting yourself yet. (laughs) I'm watching you. Huh? What do you say that sometimes? He said, take some of that off. You get too many clothes on. Huh? Just wanted to look at you. Huh? You're set apart so that only he can make that demand and only he can look at you and not every other man you ever had a date with. Huh? Come on now. Now everybody's scared, right? I'm on the edge of their seat. What's next? None of your business. None of your beeswax. Huh? But you know what I'm saying. He sets you apart for himself to be whole, cleansed, looking like he wants you to look. Huh? Not doing any old thing you want to do. But he finds you, for better or for worse. You're at your worst. He comes and finds you. Cleanses you. Take some of that off. I want to see what you look like. Don't be dressing up for the world anymore. Huh? Let's strip down. Let me put on you what I want you, you to wear. That's what he does to us. When we were first brand new Christians, he stripped us totally. Huh? Just like Hosea, Gomer and Hosea. He found her on the slave block. When they sold slaves, you had nothing on if you were a slave. You were considered property. And he bought her, and he covered her up, took her back home, even though she cheated on him many times. You got me? That's what he does, whether it's for better or for worse. And I'm talking about your stankin' worst. You got me? Nothing pretty about it whatsoever. Huh? He'll find you, set you apart for himself, and say, now come here, let me cleanse you, let me wash you, let me get this off of you, let me get this worldly stuff off of you. You don't have to dress like that for me. I can get you the right man wearing a sack, baby. You just stay clean the way I want you to be clean. And I'll find what I want. I have something very important for you. I have something very valuable for you in life. Let me cleanse you so that you can receive what it is I have for you. It's so much for us. We would let him work Quit trying to be who you think he wants you to be. Start being his bride, huh? Let him call the shots. Let him tell you what he expects out of you. So he wants us to be a glorious church, full of him, in other words. Not full of the world and full of nonsense and religion. He said not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. Just full of the word, full of admiration for God, full of love for God. 
And he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He brings it back into a natural marriage again. You see how it weaves in and out of that? How those covenants are matching covenants? Huh? For better or for worse. You had a marriage that went through some worse. God can bring it back again. You had a marriage that went through some worse. God can bring it back again. It just derailed a little bit because it got bad and somebody got scared and bailed. Hmm? God can reconcile and bring it back again. huh? Because those two covenants are intertwined. They're intertwined. And he says, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife also loves himself. huh? And that love bond can never be broken. huh? Just because the devil deceives somebody and makes them think they want to go somewhere and something's better. Listen, most married men, if they're married to a, a woman that really is, is sincere and loves them, they can step out. And the minute they step out and do the wrong thing, they know it. They're just too embarrassed to turn around and go back again. That's why sometimes God has to chasten them sore. You know what sore means? Ow. Ow. Huh? Where's, where's their rear ends out? Huh? So that they can repent because he wants them in the covenant too. So here he says this is a mirror of how a husband ought to love his wife the way Christ loves the church. And he says, and if you love your wife, you love yourself. He says, for no man ever hated his own flesh. You don't talk about your flesh and slap it around and Cuss it out, but you don't do that to yourself. Why do it to your spouse? And he says, he that loves his wife loves himself. You don't hate your own flesh, but you nourish it and cherish it, even as the Lord does the church. So God loves us, cherishes us, holds us in very valuable, high esteem. How some people can do some of the things they do knowing that, I don't understand. If God holds you and he loves you and cherishes you. Oh, I just just wants to hold on to you. And then we get stupid and run away and slip away, you know, minding other things. But he's still, oh, I just want, oh, I want you back so bad. I want you back because I have things that I want to adorn you with. I want to show you what you really can be. You stick with me. Huh? You stick with me. I'll show you what you really can be. Huh? And he means it. He can do it. Now, I know people say that a lot to one another. You know, baby, you stick with me and be on cops. <laughs> Trying to stick with that brother. Huh? But Jesus says, just stay with me. Huh? I'll show you. I'll show you. You haven't seen really what you can be yet. But you've got to work with me in it. You know, you've got to stay with me. When you mess up, I'll cleanse you. I want you back. Huh? I want you to my very own. Nobody else but you. You ever worked, sometimes you worship God or you in worship and you feel like you're the only person in the world he cares about. Huh? You have that feeling of specialness, like you're the only one. Amen? He's the only one who can do that. He's the only one who can do that. You know, some people, some people, you know, you <laughs> can get hooked up with some of these Brothers, they make you, they try to keep you on edge, like, you know, uh, drop the phone so you can see some woman's number in it or something stupid. You know how 
brothers play you like that. But Jesus is the only one. Who, you stick with me. You're the only one. Even though he loves all of us the same, he can make us experience him like we are the only ones. Like you're the center of his world. Huh? And he loves you and he'll do anything for you. For better or for worse, y'all. Amen. For better or for worse. He's with us all the way. He says, but he nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord does the church. He nourishes and cherishes us. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. So he cherishes us because he's already made us a part of his body. So he would no more harm us than he would harm his own flesh, his own self. See? That's what you got to understand. You belong to him and you are a part of him. Even as a man and his wife are one flesh. And he says, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother. shall be joined to his wife. Here it is again. The man and the woman. And they too shall be one flesh. He said, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see to it that she reverence her husband. In other words, don't disrespect. Don't take that love for granted. You got me? Don't act like, you know, he just, he just loves me. He's going to put up with anything. I don't think so. Them brothers be calculating on you, honey. Trust me. Sometimes you see them thinking. You say, what you thinking about <laughs> And it went calculating on you, you know. Got to watch that stuff. Huh? You don't, you don't. When somebody loves you, you respect that. Huh? You don't take it for granted. Huh? You don't take it for granted. I know there were many times when my husband hadn't really come to the Lord yet, and I would just get mad at him. I said, God, I'm sick of him. Oh, you just do something. Talk to him. The Lord told me, I talk to him every time you say something. <laughs> I said, oh, really? Who should I get mad at around here? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep this to myself. But I was really upset with him about something because it was something that somehow it never seemed to ever get resolved. You know how you have issues that are over and over and over the same thing. And so I was getting ready to say something to him, and God caught my tongue. You ever have anybody, ever have the Holy Spirit do that? <laughs> it's like, how come I can't say anything? And so the Lord told me this. He said, be careful how you treat him. He said, because he, you may be the only thing he loves in this world. Got me? So you don't strip the only thing that people love from them. Got me? So you have to respect love. I don't care if it's not what you want it to be. Amen. Huh? You have to do some things by faith. Just like Jesus does with us by faith. He's got all the confidence in every single one of us that if he keeps pouring love to us and keep cleaning us up and keep making us glorious over and over again, that he will finally have a bride that he can present before his father that he's proud of. That he's glad he gave his love. That's all he wants from us. Is to submit to his leadership. To submit to his care. So that he can make us what he wants us to be. Doesn't matter what you think you want to be in life. Tell you right now, matters not. I've had so many careers, it's pitiful. 
and still never thought I'd be a preacher. You got me? So it doesn't matter what you think you ought to be doing, what your husband thinks you ought to be doing, or what your wife thinks you ought to be doing. What matters is what God has called you to do. And he's called you to live for him. Huh? He's called you to submit to his love. Not brand X or generic or anything, but agape from, from him, from the source. Huh? So that he can make us what he wants us to be. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for understanding, for enlightenment. Thank you, Lord, that we know, that we know that we know that we are the called out bride of Christ. And we don't take it lightly. Father, if we don't understand marriage fully, you can teach us. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand what you meant when you said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Father, we have to leave and cleave. Got to leave first, and then we can cleave to one another. We can't do it the reverse. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, the Lord is showing me that, that people, sometimes people are afraid of commitment, afraid of the leave part. They don't know how to cleave. Sometimes people have attachments that need to be broken so that they can give themselves fully over to the Lord for this cause. That is the cause of being married and being the bride of Christ. That God says, never fear leaving anything. Never fear letting go of anything. Even to the sacrificing of your Isaac. Some of you have prayed prayers and want things and have seen much time go by. And the Lord says that if you can just leave that, cleave to me, I know how to bring to you the things that you want. And they'll be marvelous. They'll be washed up and cleansed the way I want them to be for you. That when you ask me for things, I have a way I want to present that to you, says the Lord. I don't want you to tell me how it's done, but I want to present it to you the way I want it for you, says the Lord. Even to the, the, the person you marry, even to the job that you have, even to all your relationships, Lord, says the Lord. I have a certain standard that I have in mind for what I want to give you. If you will trust me and let go of everything. And let me bring to you, let me refine it, bring it to you, and present you with it. The Lord said, it'll be more fulfilling, more glorious, more of a joy to you, more of a contentment to you than it ever could be with you trying to hold on to what you think is for you. So the Lord's saying this day, just let go and trust me. Show me that you can trust me in this, says the Lord. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, says the Lord. There are some things you'll let go of that you'll weep to get back again, says the Lord. But if you trust me in it, you'll see that my way is the best way, says the Spirit of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your covenant requires a cutting. And if there are things that that we are holding on to that are not beneficial for us, then, Father, we just ask you to help us to let them go by your Holy Spirit who can show us and present it to us in such a way that we know what needs to be done. 
then we'll do that, Lord. We'll do it, Father. Trusting you in all things. Thank you, Jesus. All right. We just need to make a confession here. If you'll repeat after me. Lord, I thank you that you want to cleanse me and make me your own. A glorious bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And right now, I let go of anything that will hold up that process and stop what you have for me. For I want your best. I submit myself to you as your bride and you as my husband. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. If anybody wants prayer, you can come on up for prayer. Amen.